What the Actual Fork podcast is co-hosted by two intuitive eating registered dietitians, yours truly, Sammy Previtt, owner of Fine Food Freedom, and Jenna Warner, owner of Happy Strong Healthy. We can't stand diet culture bullshit and love keeping it real. Our mission is for all humans to believe that they are made for so much more than chasing a smaller body. We are also here to share with you that food can be fun and pleasurable again. Although we are medical professionals, we are human too. We are not afraid to share our deepest, darkest secrets and how years of our lives were taken by diet culture. We started this podcast so no human has to feel alone in their journey towards food freedom. So get comfy and join us for a casual convo where you can expect to laugh, cry, learn, and grow. Welcome back to another episode of What the Actual Fork Podcast. Today we are super, super, super excited for our guest. We had Charlotte Markey, PhD, um, who is a world-leading expert in body image research, which is amazing, Mm -hmm. having studied all things body image, eating behavior, and weight management for her entire adult life, about 20 years. She is passionate about understanding what makes us feel good in our bodies and helping people to develop a healthy body image. Charlotte loves to share her body image wisdom with others and is an experienced book author, blogger, and professor at Rutgers. Charlotte currently lives in Pennsylvania with her son, Charlie, daughter, Grace, husband, Dan, and their dog, Lexi. And for fun, she likes to run, travel, and read, but often spends her free time nagging her kids to brush their teeth or remove the cups and dishes from their rooms. Wow. Um, This is my future, our future. To learn more about Charlotte Markey, you can visit her website at www.charlottemarkey.com or connect with her on Facebook, Dr. Charlotte Markey, Twitter, and Instagram is at char underscore Markey or on YouTube body positivity. And we also talk a lot today about her book, specifically body image book for boys, because we really have not covered that topic at all. Um, and this book, I think is her more recent book, and it's been featured very recently in quite a few publications. And we really dove into just the research that she's done and who this book is for, why it's so important and all things body image in teens and tweens today, which was very eye-opening and so powerful to learn about. Um, so I'm super, we are super excited for you guys to hear this episode, but we want to do something a little bit different today and rapid fire ask each other before we get into this episode. The question that we ask all of our guests that we hope to remember to ask all of our guests, which is, and Sam, I'm going to ask you first, what most recently, let's say this week, made you stop in your tracks and say WTAF diet culture? Well, you already know my answer. I know, and I can't wait to hear you say it. (laughs) But I mean, it's kind of funny. Um, and I don't want to spend too much time on it. Like I said, I put a little TikTok video up about that is that I don't ever want to give someone my time and energy that doesn't deserve it. Um, so it was actually, and I don't even remember who it was, this very kind dietitian DM'd our fine food freedom account and said, Hey, just want to let you know, there is this doctor on TikTok who has like one point 
whatever million followers who took a green screen video of you and is like tearing down your video. And I was like, oh. I feel really bad because I saw it and I was like, I don't want to stress her out. She's super pregnant. I'm sure she's seen this already. I don't need to. And now I'm like, I should have said this. Oh, I mean, <laughs> and it, doesn't, it doesn't even matter. Honestly, I wasn't even going to do anything about it. And like, we truly didn't, right? Like I sent it to our team and was just like, hey, can we report this or try to get it taken down? Be, you know, whatever. Um, but I think it, you know, I did, I trickled over to the comment section for a second and I was like, oh, wow. Like, I didn't think that many people hated me, but then I was like, oh, okay. Like they do. Um, and that's fine. And, but I think it comes back to, and I said this in the TikTok video, like that definitely stopped me in my tracks. And that was a example of, we talked about this, how curated our feeds are in the intuitive eating health at every size space that like, I genuinely never see the weight loss stuff, the fat phobic shit, like, cause I just don't engage with it. So I was like, oh my gosh, like not only are people still so fat phobic and weight centric, but they hate me. <laughs> I was like, That's great. Funny, not funny. Um, but anyways, so, but as our good friend and mentor, Evelyn Tripoli told us on one of our previous episodes, if they're not reachable, if they're not teachable, don't engage, don't waste your precious time and energy. Yes, I had so many snarky comments I wanted to leave, but I'm like, first of all, get attacked by like all of these fat phobic weight centric people. So instead I just blocked the accounts and I was like, and we're going to move on from here. But, um, it was a beautiful response video. Thank you. Thank you. But I think it's just, you know, that's, that's the price we pay for putting, you know, information out there about health at every size about intuitive eating and clearly these people do not understand what it actually is and they don't want to so if they're not curious and like genuinely want to learn we're not going to waste our time so that was my moment this week but what was yours jenna i would love to hear so even though we do talk about social media being positive in this episode, mine also was on TikTok and I did it is also negative. <laughs> I just saw this video and, you know, I, I answered it. I give myself credit because I answered it in a very gentle way. Um, just providing, I think my new approach is just to provide an alternative perspective. Cause like you said, like the people that believe in the weight focused and the, just fat phobic space. Like they don't necessarily care what I have to say, but like, what if I offer a different perspective that maybe makes them think a little bit. And so that's my like new take on social media at this moment. And this one creator posted this video that was just like, I don't understand the anti-diet space because when I had access to giving myself whatever I wanted, I ate McDonald's every single day and I felt like shit and I got IBS and I got depressed depressed. And that stopped me in my tracks because I'm like, wow, like this is what so many people believe this, you know, pro this just way of thinking way of life to be. And that makes me sad because I do feel like we do so much work to say like, that is not what this is, but like, that's the message that gets out there. So I did do a response to the video and I hate when they're not duetable or whatever. So like you have to green screen them. Like I do feel very dirty doing that as you've witnessed on the, I other, was green on the other end of it. Right. <laughs> like it does feel wrong, but so I did it and I did tag her, which that creator to you did not, which I thought was very, very wrong. Um, and she, you know, liked the video and said, thank you, which I thought was cool because it I gave me the opportunity to give an explanation that reaches X amount of people. So 
it stopped me in my tracks. It made me sad, but like you, the response that I took this time was not like, you know, bashing, offering perspective, which I think we can all do and continue to have these conversations. And, you know, I shared your video with my husband and it brought up a conversation in our home. And, you know, one of the things he challenged me on a couple of things. And I'm like, listen, nutrition is nuanced and every ideology in nutrition is nuanced. And in a one minute video, like you can't learn everything. (laughs) So like, why are we all fighting? Right? Like it's hard. It's a hard space. (laughs) Well, I think our videos kind of tie together because when we're saying like diets don't work and like you have unconditional permission to eat, like exactly like the video you responded to people just think that we're saying eat McDonald's for every single meal, feel like absolute complete shit and like physically and unpleasant and like, you're going to love your life. And like, that's literally not what we're saying at all, (laughs) but that's what people are grasping because they, again, when they come from so much restriction, it's just, you you can't fathom that you wouldn't want to eat those things all the time. So I'm really glad that you brought that up. And I think that's awesome that you, you know, tagged her and, and just, you just created curiosity and and really probably helped not only her, but so many that think that that's like definitely the number one myth of intuitive eating. It's crazy. And I get why, right. Mm -hmm. And I know we're now rambling, but I get why people think that way because listen, the virality of TikTok is intuitive eating and then a lie placed after it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, That's what goes viral. And so the continuation of putting out content, you know, that's what we just continue to do and hope it lands in the right hands. <laughs> right? That's a great way to put it. So, we do talk about social media a lot on this episode. If in a positive you, way. <laughs> yes. And if you are a parent, a caretake, caretaker, aunt, uncle, do any, have any type of exposure to kids in any way, shape or form, then this episode is for you. So enjoy our episode uh, with Dr. Charlotte Markey. Welcome back to another episode of What's the Actual Fork podcast. We are super, super excited for our guest today. We have Dr. Charlotte Markey here today, and we're really pumped because we're going to be covering a topic that we have never touched on before, not even once on this podcast, which is sad to say, Um, but thank you so much for being here, Dr. Markey. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Awesome. Awesome. So we're going to jump right in because I know Jenna and I have lots of questions, especially Jenna, who has a little son. So this works perfectly for today's topic that we're going to get into. But before we get into picking your brain, we love to start with a very simple question of when was the last time that you kind of got stopped in your tracks by some sort of diet culture article, something you saw, something you overheard that just made you say like, what the actual fork is going on? And you probably get this like every day, but would love to hear. Oh, that's a good question. Yeah. It does happen every day, right. To all of us. Um, and we stop noticing it because it happens so much. I think when I feel it the most is probably when I'm teaching my students and, Um, I teach a psych of eating class regularly at Rutgers and we spend time on not just like eating, but body image, diet culture, weight stigma, food policy, even when we have time. So we we cover a lot of territory and um, the the diet culture stuff, I think resonates so much. And so when I see them um, kind of like, oh, wait, (laughs) 
<laughs> have those moments. Um, that's, that's most rewarding to me. That's most exciting to me. Um, one of them showed this really cool video clip in class, our last class, um, from this new um, documentary about Abercrombie and Fitch. I don't know if you've heard about it or seen it. And so, yeah, that I didn't know the documentary was out. Um, and this student who uh, brought it in, you know, we it got the whole class sort of talking about that era because that was before they were like, you know, some of them were alive, but they just that was like before them. So. Um, so that was kind of a like diet culture, appearance culture discussion that was fun. Isn't it so interesting that the students in your classroom probably know Abercrombie as this like inclusive supporting brand of all sizes and they do so much for LGBTQ, but like I remember having panic over like walking past Abercrombie in a mall that most students probably have never been in um, back in my high school days too. I have not watched that documentary, but I've heard amazing things just about like what they bring to light. Yeah, it's fascinating. I mean, I was actually probably too old for the heyday of Abercrombie. And so like my younger sister or, you know, like I've, I've seen like a whole almost generation of students now at this point in my career. Um, but there are things that are funny that I get caught, you know, I had to explain to them what an after school special was recently because I was trying to, you know, explain how like some video clip we were watching was sort of an after school special version of what an eating disorder looks like. And they just all looked at me like, what? And I was like, you know what an after school special is, right? And they're like, no, oh gosh. Um, so, I mean, the great thing about being around students in their late teens and early twenties mostly is it does, well, it makes you feel old on the one hand and it kind of keeps you young on the other hand because they keep me from, you know, being totally out of touch with pop culture. And that's fun and kind of important for what we do because so much of pop culture is like what we're trying to deconstruct. That is such a good point that you have. And I can imagine what that feels like of being like, I feel really old right now, but you're also <laughs> keeping me young. Before Jenna asked the next question, I just wanted to like take a moment of gratitude, like hearing you say, when I am standing in front of my students and teaching and talking about diet culture and weight stigma and body image, like Jenna and I always talk about our college experience and how it was just littered with fat phobia and weight stigma and basically giving <laughs> eating disorders. Um, oh. so what I would give to have had a professor like you. So I just want to say thank you for the work that you're doing. And it's so important. Oh, that's sweet of you. I think, you know, it's evolved across time, though, because um, some of what I taught not that long ago, I would not teach anymore, you know, and so I think that's something I love about being in an academic setting is that I do get to keep learning and I do get to keep evolving and that's like required, essentially. Um, but, you know, I think, I think I hope I hope I keep getting better at it in most ways. It's required when you care, right? But like so many practitioners, Sammy and I, or Sammy more so, um, we had a conversation about this yesterday. Just so many people just don't want to do the work of hearing the other side of the story. So thank you. I want to reiterate oh. what he says. And before I get into our first question, we always do this because we bring on guests that we just want to chat with. But Dr. Charlotte, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? You know, what 
make, what makes you tick like your passions and how you really got to this evolved teacher that you are today? Um, yeah, so I, um, I guess I went to college and I thought I would be a teacher and I grew up in a really traditional kind of household actually. So I didn't have really big professional aspirations. I kind of felt like I'd be a teacher and I'd have some kids and I didn't really think I'd be like a career person. Um, and then in college, I started taking psychology and I really loved it. And so I decided to declare a psychology major and um, you know, I'd taken like motivation and emotion type classes and abnormal psych and, and classes where we started to get into some of the topics that I focus on now, eating and body image. And they were really fascinating to me, but I was pretty hung up on, you know, to do anything in the field of psychology, you have to go on to graduate school um, at the very least to get a master's and more likely, you know, for like a doctorate. And Initially, I just thought that just sounded like forever, like I was never going to finish school. <laughs> and it wasn't like part of my original life plan at all, like I said. So um, I think really, as I got into my senior year of college, it was just by like default. I was like, I don't know what else to do. This is what I like. I'm actually like I was doing well in school so I could get into graduate school. And I, I guess it's just what happens sometimes, right? Like you end up on this path. And then it just starts to kind of take on a life of its own. There's this momentum, like you're, it's not about planning. Um, and so I went on and got a PhD in developmental and health psychology and was able to focus on um, young people's eating and body image mostly in my research. And then applied for faculty positions. And you know, my work has expanded research-wise in all different sorts of directions across the years. And then I started writing for popular audiences more um, in the last, I don't know, five to 10 years, I guess. And some of that is just out of frustration um, because of diet culture in part and because of the disconnect that becomes so obvious when you're you know, in front of a class day after day and what you say is so different than what your students know. And you're like, well, wait, really? Really, you guys don't know this? So um, I started writing more articles and, and books for popular audiences then. Um, and, you know, the body image book for girls and the body image book for boys, I think, too, were really largely motivated by my own parenting and feeling like there wasn't anything like this for kids. And there were puberty books and we did the puberty books and we read those when my kids were, you know, I always start this stuff young. So, you know, eight, whatever, we'd start reading those. And then there are sex books. Those are good. We did some of those. And those kind of books will talk a little bit about body image and eating, um, but not very much. And I kind of thought like, I want the reverse. Like I want a book that's almost all about body image and has just like a little bit about puberty or a little bit about sex. Like I, I wanted to really focus in on that. And in some ways it was kind of an exercise in parenting for me. Like if I could capture their attention long enough to say all of this at once, what would it be? And um, and when I worked on the book for girls, my daughter was about 11 when we were, when I was writing and she actually did some of the first edits for me. So she was really into it at first. She really liked to like correct me and tell me what was confusing and, um, cross sections out when it got too like academic. Um, so, so it's been good to have like people in my house that are about the age I'm writing for, um, 
I don't know. It's just, it's been a really rewarding part of my career these last few years, I think. As a mom of a almost 16 month little boy, like I can't even imagine these conversations. So I'm super grateful that resources like these exist. I mean, we're just kind of working through, will you eat anything other than peanut butter on bread at this moment? So <laughs> I know there's phases, yes. but I was stalking your Instagram right before we pressed record and you have so many good so much good stuff on there. And one thing that really caught my eye that I'd love to hear more of an explanation from you is you're quoted in um, a publication stating that boys don't have the vocabulary to express body image concerns, maybe the same way that girls do, or just in general, I would love to just expand on that and just understand a little bit more of where that's coming from. It's so interesting to me um, because in my academic life, I am a quantitative researcher. So I give people surveys and I analyze the data and it's very like numerical and it's lots of people. And then in my more public scholarship life, I, I interview people and I talk with them and I take notes and, and it's just a different format for kind of getting to the same questions. But you know, we have all this data about boys, but then when I actually started talking to boys and working on this book project, it didn't completely sync up with some of the data in that they would say to me like, oh no, no, I'm fine. My body image is fine. And I say, oh, okay, well, tell me a little bit about your eating habits. And I say, oh, well, I never eat sugar or, you know, I really, I've got this new protein stuff I really like, or they'd start talking about all these things they were doing to manipulate their diets or their habits. But then they'd say that, oh no, my body image is fine. You're like, oh, okay, well, then why are you doing these things? You know, there's just like this real disconnect or they'd say, well, I'm trying to be healthy. Like, oh, okay, you know, and this isn't an intervention when I do interviews, so I'm not trying to teach them per se. I'm just trying to hear what they are experiencing. Um, I guess the book then is the intervention, hopefully later, but um, it's just really fascinating to me how boys seem really to shy away from using the term body image or even eating disorders, that those are girl terms. Those don't apply to them. And then when they do talk about their own habits and what's very clearly the manipulation of their habits because they want a six pack or they want to be buff or they want to be in good shape or they want a girlfriend or whatever it is. Um, then they really, they frame it as if they're being healthy when oftentimes they are not. That is really interesting to hear. And I love how you said like, you're, this is not you teaching them. You're literally just taking in this information and listening to it. And I'm sure that's really, I feel like that would be so difficult to just have those <laughs> conversations because you want to be like, no, I can help you. But, um, on off of that, like kind of going back to basics, you know, we talk a lot about body image on this podcast, but I would love to hear how you define body image. Cause I know everyone has like, not a different definition, but, but in a sense. So how do you define body image in your research, in your books? And then how does it differ? Obviously we talked about the, the language with boys, but when we're looking at girls versus boys, like what are some of the big differences that you're seeing and specifically what can parents of boys, young boys, teen boys look out for? So I just asked you like seven questions in one. I apologize. So take That's right. that what you will. Yeah. Just help me remember. Body image is, of course, how we think and feel about our bodies. 
that's kind of a standard definition, but my definition has really evolved across time because I feel like that definition suggests that this is this sort of superficial part of who we are and that it's all about like, I think why I'm having a good hair day almost, right? And truly body image is like, are you comfortable in your own skin? And that is part physical, but also very much psychological. And if you are not comfortable in your own skin, then you will do almost anything to change that in many cases. And that's where the manipulation of habits in terms of diet or activity or supplements or whatever it may be comes into play, right? So there's this really strong behavioral link to body image. It's not just like, oh, I don't feel good. No, well, then what do you do because you don't feel good? There's also a really huge interpersonal piece because the environments that we exist in influence our body image and how we feel about ourselves also influences like, will I go out to dinner at a restaurant? Will I um, avoid certain social circumstances? Do I feel inferior to certain people? Like all of these things come up and it's very interpersonal. And then of course, there's just this huge mental health part of it. So um, our body image is associated with depression, anxiety, and of course, eating disorders. And it can be really hard and researchers have tried, but it can be really hard to know what's the chicken and what's the egg when we're talking about these different mental health issues. Thank you so much for defining that. And I love that you brought up how it's very much physical, but there's this psychological piece. Because I think so often people, and Jenna, I'm sure you hear this all the time too, are talking about how uncomfortable they are in their body. And that is so valid. Um, but I think sometimes we think it's just physical and there's not this psychological piece. Yeah. And then you wanted to know girls versus boys and, you know, girls still focus a lot on weight loss. I know, you know, this better than anyone. Um, it's not their only, uh, body image concern, but, but that if I had to pick one thing, I'd say girls want to be smaller usually. Um, and boys do not want to be smaller usually. Um, there's of course a great deal of variability in boys and men's experiences, but they want to be muscular. And so that's a real difference. And that's why in part the research on boys has lagged behind girls because there was no body image research essentially before the 1980s. And that early work started right alongside the eating disorder research. And that eating disorder research focused completely on girls. And it was all about girls who want to be thin. And when we started asking boys those questions as researchers, boys would say like, no, I'm not worried about losing weight. And then people thought, oh, well, boys are good. Boys don't have any problems here. Like this is a girl issue. And then when you start reframing the questions and you start getting at more of the like, well, are you comfortable with yourself? Are you comfortable in your skin? Then it looks like basically everyone's suffering. <laughs> boys, girls, men, women, <laughs> but it has to do with kind of what questions are you asking? So fascinating. And I love how you've really brought to light, how people can answer a certain way. Like, you know, we call them keyboard warriors, right? When we defend we're behind computer screens, right? But then when you get face-to-face -face and you talk to somebody and you ask those questions, how we can unravel and learn so much more, which is why I just think it's so important for everybody listening to just remember that one-on-one -on -one support over social media, always, if you're able to, or just finding resources that, you know, to talk to somebody, because 
I think this really brings in the next question that I have. You know, I saw another post that you had about social media and the impact on body image and what it is doing specifically to the teens and tweens of the world being on TikTok and Instagram starting, I mean, they're not supposed to be on at 13 and 14, but we know that they are. Um, your students did a report on this or some sort of research study, and I would love to hear more about the findings. Um, amazing that they did that, first of all, and I'm, I can't wait to hear what you learned. <laughs> yeah, it's great to do this kind of research with, um, with people in their teens and 20s because this is their world so much more than it is mine really. Um, and they were really interested in doing some social media and body image research that focused on TikTok in particular. There's not much really any research that looks at TikTok and some of that's just, you know, the research process takes years. And these social media platforms, they like mix it up every few months. And they evolve in ways that it's nearly impossible for research science to keep up with. But having said that, we did try. And um, we so we collected data about how people were using um, TikTok. And we also looked at Instagram. Um, so like, what kinds of things were they doing? What kinds of videos were they watching? Were they posting? Were they... Um, what it boiled down to essentially is we were going to create two kind of categories and were people using social media um, really just to communicate like with their friends primarily um, or were they using it more to get information basically about diet culture, appearance culture. <laughs> um, and not that those are the only two ways people use it, but we could ask them to endorse different different questions and and then they kind of fell out in these categories um, without too much trouble and um and so if people are using these platforms as communication tools then that wasn't related to their body image really so if it's like you know you're sending your friend a message even if that means you go on instagram and you see some stuff but then you just send the message and maybe you're not really engaged otherwise like it's it doesn't seem to affect your body image so much. And then if you're on Instagram, but you're following like beauty tutorials, it's not rocket science that that does then affect your body image. But I think what's most novel um, about this research, which is not yet published, but hopefully will be soon. Um, and we were studying people in their late teens. Um, it's just, I think it's important to differentiate like what parts of social media are okay, are not necessarily harmful. Because when we spend all of our energy on, this is just ruining, you know, teens mental health. Okay, <laughs> so a little bit, yes. But here's the problem, we're not getting rid of it. So what do we do then, right? If we just spend all this time, I feel like just saying how awful it is, well, that's not gonna get us very far. Like we need to think about, well, what's some good here? Um, why do kids like it? Why do we like it, right? I learn a ton of stuff from social media, right? I connect with you guys on social media. I, I have met so many people on social media actually who do work in this area. Um, my husband who's a little bit older than me and is not on social media is always like, wait, you met them on Twitter? I'm like, yeah. Mm -hmm. 
like, that's really weird. I'm like, well, no, I just sent a message or she sent me a message or, but you know, it's possible, right? You can communicate. It's not all bad. It's amazing. I also learned how to clean my entire house on TikTok. <laughs> like the garbage disposal hacks are like mind blowing. And like the other day I saw the washing machine. I almost just called it the laundry machine. Um, but <laughs> washing machine, like you're supposed to clean this filter that I've never touched before. I've lived in this house for two years. Like there's a lot you're, you bring up so many valid points, like one, that it's not going away. And two, that there are positive ways to use it. And just focusing on that negative is not helping anyone. And I think from the perspective of, you know, Sam and I being on social media, what I personally find the most frustrating is the content that does have the virality to it is not the, Hey, here's how to love your body today. Yeah, I know. <laughs> respect it. Right. And so that's yeah. where I feel like the trouble for teens specifically comes through because they don't have, and you would know way more than me, but in my opinion, that's all it is, you know, the brain development of like the ability to decipher real from fake when somebody posts like a viral trend about cleaning your gut bacteria, it's just not fair. <laughs> and now all of these people are eating papaya seeds, trying to get rid of a parasite that doesn't exist. Right. Like it's just like fucking blows my mind every day. And then I'm like, Hey, did you know that X? And they're like, Nope fuck you, keep going, right? Like, don't care. Makes it horrible and it makes it just so frustrating. But yes, thank you for bringing up the positive points. <laughs> well, I will commiserate about the negative points though too. Yes. And I mean, part of it is I feel like I'm just, you know, too old for like a lot of social media. You and... are not, that is not true. <laughs> that is a limiting belief. Possibly. I mean, my, my, I am in my late forties and, um, and that feels really old some days, but, um, you know, some of it too is I, my frustration is similar to yours where it's like, I am just going to provide content that's actually evidence-based and that's not super sexy always. And so, you know, you're just not going to go viral unless like you have like a, like you said, this cleanse will bring you big muscles or whatever, like, you know, something that makes no sense at all. And, um, and that can be really frustrating when you're trying to do work in public spaces and you're trying to be like, Hey, listen, no, I know something that's important that I want you to know. And people don't always care. But I really do love that you brought up like focusing on the positive, because I think Jenna and I are definitely guilty of like always talking about yeah. like the negative aspects, but then like reflecting that like our organizations, our businesses, our podcasts, like everything exists because of social media. Like we would not have virtual practices without it realistically. And that right there is so powerful because think about every client we've met with, every person we've touched, every comment that you get that says like your content has helped me make peace of my body or, you know, whatever it is, it's, it's, you almost forget that those are like humans behind the keyboard, which I think is just a part of the you know social media space but so thank you so much for bringing that up and I think it can help us focus on the good um so we talked about how social media can kind of influence body image but you know when we're working with clients another big big influence on body image is parents right yeah so as yeah. 
somebody who's due any minute with a child. <laughs> oh, congratulations. Thank you. And Jenna has her little boy at home. We would love to hear from you, like in your research, like how do parents influence their kid's body image? And for any parents, potential parents, people that one day want to be parents, what can they do? Obviously they can't fully, you know, shelter their child or control the body image. So that's important, but what are some tips and tricks for them as well? There are so many things. Um, and I think, you know, first of all, do no harm, right? And, and that may seem obvious, but it can be really, really hard sometimes to not say to your child, you're leaving the house of that as they get older, right? Like there are so many things, moments where you feel like, oh my God, I am becoming my mother. Like, you know, you just, you start to say something, you have to really be careful or even just that, like, what are you eating? You can't eat that or you can't eat now. Or, you know, there are these things that you, you think you'll never say, but as the parent, you, you want some control over these people you love more than anything in the world. And you want to make sure that they're doing what's good for them. And that sometimes manifests in ways that you don't mean it to. And you sometimes say things you don't, you don't mean to. Um, and so you have to be really careful, I, mean, I think, about that and walk it back then when you do say it, right? So when you do say like, no, you can't possibly still be hungry, right? Then you have to walk it back and say, okay, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm just frustrated because I just made dinner and you didn't eat it and now you're hungry and now you keep eating, right? Or whatever it may be. And of course, if you're hungry, you should eat. I'm sorry, you know, you just caught me in a mood or what, whatever it is. Um, and then I think it's really important too to model, you know, having a healthy relationship with food and body. And that can be really hard too, because all of us were brought up in diet culture and a lot of us have some of our own issues that maybe we've worked through even like 90%, but there's still that 10% that lingers and um, it's an uphill battle to get through that 10% in our culture. And so I think it's really important to, you know, not... Uh, restrict your eating behaviors in front of your kids to not adopt, you know, diet trends or things like that in front of your kids, because then they learn that that's normative. Um, you know, there's a lot of good uh, resources out there now about intuitive eating and trying to get kids to just be really in tune with their own bodies. And, um, and I think that can be really valuable um, in terms of thinking about how we feed our kids. Um, so many of us grew up in the, you know, clean plate club of you can't get up from the table until you finish your whole meal, or you can't have dessert until you finish your vegetables, you know, all these things that we now know that were just probably really maladaptive. And so we want to try not to do those things and to set a good example. Um, and, you know, to treat food as, you know, a wonderful thing that's nourishing psychologically and physically. And that doesn't have to be a source of angst. And, um, you know, my kids are still teenagers, so I don't know if I've, if I've like done it yet, but it seems a lot of days like I do, uh, like it's going well right now. <laughs> and, um, and it's amazingly gratifying to, to watch them after all those years of, you know, not forcing them to eat broccoli or whatever, to like discover they like Brussels sprouts on their own or, um, to make a cake and then just have a little of it because that's all they feel like and it's like, not a big deal. Um, so 
it's possible, I think, to raise kids to have really healthy relationships with food and body, but it's, it almost means doing the, the opposite of probably how most of us were raised. So being a parent is just like this wild ride. <laughs> Thank you for sharing all of that. I mean, I, I personally, in my own life, like I really remember being raised in like a very food positive home and I still got fucked up with my relationship with food. So mom and dad, it was not your fault. And I am super grateful for all of those lessons. And I think, you know, I think this is really a great time where talking about your book comes in because maybe if I had had a resource like that to read when I was younger, some of those boundaries or reminders would have popped up in my head when I was off on my own, which was when my issues really began like those college years. But um, because we're talking about teens, I would love, we would love to hear more about your books, where people can find them um, and just any more details about those you'd like to share. Yeah, the body image book for girls and the body image book for boys are both now out. You can get them anywhere, Amazon, bookstores. Um, both books have a webpage, which is just the body image book for girls.com and the body image book for boys.com. Um, so sort of easy to remember. And um, they're nonfiction books that are meant to be resources that focus on body image, but really touch on all the related topics. So there's an entire chapter on uh, kind of nutrition 101. There's an entire chapter on food fads and why dieting is so maladaptive. There's an entire chapter on eating disorders and mental health. There's an entire chapter on physical activity because as I was working on the girls book, you know, I thought this was going to be like a hundred pages and it's the target ages for these books are about nine or 10 to about 14 or 15. And it just kept growing. It grew to twice that length. And because I was focus grouping the material with the target readership and also working with my undergraduates. And people kept saying like, well, what about this then? Now you've talked about eating disorders. Well, what about like depression? Like, oh yeah, okay. I should include a little bit about that. Okay. Um, you know, so it just kept growing. And I think it's kind of a mental and physical health guide in many ways. And sort of the connecting thread throughout the topics is body image. Um, and I should say too, we've made a really huge effort, um, me and my whole publishing team, to make these really accessible for kids. So they're illustrated and it's not just like information that's, you know, facts. There's stories from other kids in terms of their experiences to try to sort of drive home how normative concerns about these issues are and how people sort of deal with their own concerns. Um, there's Q&A, questions from real kids with evidence-based answers. Um, there's myths and myths beliefs throughout it. So like kind of those, a lot of them are diet culture myths and debunking them. Um, so there's, there's a, a real effort um, to make it super easy to read in little bits here and there. That is awesome. And I, do you recommend with like parents and kids, like going through this book together, or is there like, I don't know if that's a silly question, but is there a way you recommend like best going through this information with your teen or child? Yeah, I mean, in a perfect world, you know, like I would just give one to every household and parents or whoever was a guardian or even an older sibling or something would, would sit with their kid at, you know, 10 at the latest and, and go through this information because I think everything in there is important for people to know. Um, 
if your kid's older, they're not going to want to do that with you. Um, by the time you hit 13, you're probably on, on borrowed time in terms of those kinds of like reading at bedtime or whatever. Um, and, and sometimes then it can be really, really effective just to leave these books, you know, on your kid's bed. That's what I like to do. Um, and they'll say they're not going to look at it. And then you'll hear from like one of their friends, moms that they were like giggling over the pictures or they were most definitely looking at it. Um, so I think there's not a right or a wrong way. I think in my mind, what's so important is that young people have evidence-based information and that we don't just let them have access to only social media, only the internet, where they can't always tell truth from just made up crap. I love that. And just normalizing you you've said the word normalize a lot and I love that because I feel like when we normalize something it removes the shame and I think having these conversations is so so powerful so for anyone listening obviously we, they can get your books on Amazon where books are sold and then if they want to learn a little bit more about you where is the best place on the internet for them to find you yeah they can go to the book web pages and they can find out more about me there and that links to I think my profile on Rutgers webpage and all that. I'm not hard to find. So <laughs> perfect. And we will put all those links in the show notes for our listeners. And just thank you so much for being here, Dr. Charlotte. Yeah, of course. Anytime. Guys, thank you so much for listening to another episode of What the Actual Fork Pod. We know there are a lot of pods out there and we are so grateful that you are here listening with us. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe, like, share with all your friends and faves, and follow along with us on social at What the Actual Fork Pod. We promise to continue to bring you the hottest topics, greatest guests, and the most fun you can possibly have while fighting diet culture bullshit. We love you, we appreciate you, and we will see you next week for a lot more fun.